Welcome into AWA Unleashed. We are the preeminent, self-proclaimed number one numero uno podcast and video stream dedicated to the American Wrestling Association. It is November. I don't know what is today. The I don't even know. I can't even read my Fitbit. Anyway, we got Thanksgiving coming up in uh, just a couple of days, and we're going to combine a couple things today. I, I'm excited about this. Uh, we are going to combine a listener, Mount Rushmore, with kind of some Thanksgiving memories because Thanksgiving has always been a big day in wrestling, no matter what the territory, right? I mean, you know, whether it was, been, you know, the, the Crockett's or it was up in Portland or, you know, it was Memphis or, you know, world class, you know, of course, here in the Twin Cities, uh, been a lot of, lot of great Thanksgiving memories. So we're going to talk about that. Let's bring in uh, Mick Karch. And Mick, I got to admit, like, this is one that we might say maybe it's low-hanging fruit with kind of the listener Mount Rushmore. But at the same time, I it's not really a Mount Rushmore. I mean, what would you kind of, what would you call today's show? I guess it depends on what generation you're talking about. Uh, mm -hmm. It might be a history lesson, you know, in, in some ways, and then a popularity poll in other ways. Um, Mount Rushmore, yeah, if we would have limited to four, it would have made more sense. But, uh, you know, I, I went on uh, Facebook and I asked hold the on, listeners. Hold on, Mick. Are you, hold on, hold on. Just, what? Uh, are you getting that little, are you getting that little buzzing? I right am. What, what's going on? I don't know. Do we have to? Oh, great. We have to restart. <clears throat> I don't want to restart. I don't either. I. I the hell? What? What is going on here? I mean, I know you've had some camera issues. I mean, do you want to restart it? Maybe. I mean, should I stop and like send you another link? Well, see what's going on here. I mean, something is something. Because I, I mean, you kind of cut out for a second, and then there's this is like I kind of heard like I don't know if it's like some sort of like interference. Anyway. Okay, see, now it's gone. All right. Okay, so we're I mean, good. Okay, okay yeah. So I'm, so it's not really like, um, like a, like a Mount Rushmore. It's kind of like a top 10, right? I mean, you were like soliciting, uh, kind of suggestions and you were kind of like, you know, you were, sorry, man, I'm just, God. Okay, something's wrong. What's going um, on here? I don't know. Okay. See, now it went away. God. Were you, damn it. Are you getting interference here? I don't know. I mean, are you not, you're hearing it, right? I'm hearing it, yeah. I mean, okay. And maybe if I reset I think my, you oh, need to. Hold on, I'm going to reset my microphone. get to the bottom of this. Yeah, reset my microphone. Right away here. Yeah, okay, Google Chrome using, okay, anyway. Um, okay, so huh. it was it was listener suggestions. And yeah. kind of like a top 10 of like all-time, like, best performers or like I've popular, like likable. I mean, what, what, what would you, I mean, I guess, what would you classify it as? Cause it's not a Mount Rushmore. It's more than four. The, the problem is that there were no criteria. There were no direct criteria, mm -hmm. uh, you know, entering performance, your favorite, whatever best promos. Just want to say who are your, your 10 most memorable AWA characters. So we went okay. online we got a great response, and we're going to show the results today. We left it up to the people. Awesome. And, uh, awesome. You know what? Something's going on here. Are you still I, hearing that? Yes, and I just got a glimpse of something. Okay. I, I'm not I'm not seeing it. I'm not all seeing right. it at all. Anyway, all okay. Right. Well, let's, before we get into that, I um, want to tell you, first of all, 
I'll put uh, put this up. It is a, a Mount Rushmore uh, suggested to Mick. Uh, you can see the 7th Avenue pizza. Great frozen pizza, you guys. Um, you know, if you're looking for the best frozen pizza on the market, again, 7th Avenue pizza, um, 7thAvenuePizza.com. Uh, Soda Stick as well. And uh, if you're looking for, you know, hey, it's hoodie season, you guys. Oh, is you, it ever? I, I mean, you can get your personalized hoodie with your your gimmick, your name in there. And, you know, I mean, everything's a gimmick in wrestling. Right? That's what I'm realizing. You can say I have not used the word gimmick so much since we started this podcast. It's like everything is a gimmick. Everything's a gimmick. That's right. That's so, right. yeah, we gimmick. Yeah. Life is a gimmick, my friend. Life, life is a gimmick. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and finally, uh, join us on all your, your favorite platforms. YouTube, I know, is particularly popular. Uh, Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Google, Amazon. Okay, what the fuck? Okay. Well, we you apologize. What they... is... Wait a minute. Do you see... Okay, are you seeing it? Because I'm back... Because I'm, like, the one that sent the link. You seeing this? Oh! Oh my God! What? <laughs> what How'd the hell? How'd you get in here? Is in the house. I thought Halloween was over. Nobody gave you the key to the house. <laughs> oh! Well, you know what? Sometimes you just gotta blast through that wall. Oh! Oh my God! That's a horrible pun. Well, thank oh. you. I'm on a horrible podcast. No, I'm kidding. I'm on a great <laughs> podcast. Hi, Chris. Hi, Mick. How are you guys doing? How did this happen, Tubbs? I don't look at me. I sent the link to you. Did you forward the link to him? Are you kidding? Well, I am a hack, Kerr, so I got the link, and I thought I'd just surprise <laughs> the guys and join in. hope the ratings don't plummet, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Well, you know what? As long as you're here, why don't you stick around from here on in? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Vern, am I going to get the weekly nickel? <laughs> or oh, good morning, guys. How you doing? Uh, morning, Joe. It's it's going to be great to have you. Uh, I love it. This is going to be awesome. Thank you, you know, thank you so much for joining us. I know that uh, we're excited to have you. I mean, all you know, joking aside. So uh, this is going to be awesome, Joe. Welcome, welcome to the crew. Well, I I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Um, you know, we we talked, and for whatever reason, I guess you guys thought that I might be able to bring some value to the table. So let's see if I can do that. And some, some, well, some is the operative word there. I didn't put the value of that some, but you know, some is more than zero. So I'm I'm shooting for one. Well, we needed a third guy, and Silo Sam wasn't available. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're conjuring up some, shall we just say, memories. Ladies uh, and gentlemen, let's let's do an official intro, though. Yes. Because uh, he was on our podcast uh, not that long ago, got great, great response, and what a guy. Our longtime friend, Polish Joe Chupik, Chupik. Uh, former AWA TV production guru, mm -hmm. and uh, Joe is going to be joining us from here on, unless something drastic happens, you know. Unless he gives the link to somebody else, and then we'll have <laughs> <it>. <laughs> That's right. But uh, Joe, it's great to have you, and I think this is a, this is a perfect first show for you to jump in on. 
Well, I have to start by apologizing for all that static and, and interference that you had at the beginning of the podcast. I thought it was going to be much smoother, I got to admit. Yeah. Well, it, it was just slight static, and then this pops up, and well, there's a reason Larry Nelson did not want me to be broadcast on television. It's this face right here. Wow. Oh, Larry, if Larry, if Larry was here, he would have been jumping up and down and saying, what in the blue hell <laughs> you broke the wall? Oh, God. Another reference to the blaster. There you go. <laughs> All right, and we got a show to do today. We can't let's, put uh, around with you for an hour and a half. Come on, let's. All right, let's do it. So uh, that being said, we're going to go through the top 10 favorite performers or most you know uh, notable performers. This is a listener suggestion, by the way, that yeah. these are. And, and it could be a wrestler, could be a manager, could be a broadcaster, could be an executive. Uh, and full disclosure, I saw the list. I did not see either one of your names on there. I I don't know if that'll ruin the buzz. I knew but, I didn't give my wife enough money to submit one. See, you you know, and, and, and actually, that's a good thing that you didn't see the name because I don't want anybody saying, oh, you know, he ran the poll and all of a sudden he shows up in the top ten. You know, I don't. I don't want that. You that don't guy. want it to. This is not Elon Musk on Twitter. That's this, exactly is, this right. is not manipulating the poll. All so, right. So again, this is listener response, yep. and these are based on votes. These aren't just willy nilly. Uh, this is your top ten. We're going to start with number ten. Yep. Let's uh, go ahead and uh, do it, Mick. Why don't you go ahead and uh, you kick it off, my friend? All right. Let's bring up picture number one, and this is the man that garnered the. 10th most votes in the listener poll. Let's take a look at him. Where is he? Reading. <laughs> Waiting. There he is. Big Jerry Blackwell. Uh, Jerry, number 10. And Joe, has there ever been a better big man in pro wrestling than Jerry Blackwell? Tough to say better. I mean, I... I... I'd be remiss if I didn't say Bam Bam Bigelow was certainly could be included into that. Um, Jerry, you're, you're right. I mean, the guy could do a drop kick, a standing drop kick at well over 400 pounds. I believe we listed him at 468 pounds or mixed weight after a Thanksgiving meal. Uh, <laughs> but Jerry deservedly, I believe, should be on this top 10 list. Uh, one of the nicest guy, a, guys, a true Southern gentleman in every stretch of the word. What you saw on camera was not the real Jerry Blackwell. He was polite, always said please and thank you. Um, a, a favorite of mine growing up, but I also hated him when he was part of the Sheik's Army and part of the greatest turn, in oh, my opinion, that, in yeah. professional wrestling history. Yeah, and that's one thing that it, it kind of comes back to. You mentioned two things, Joe, right there. Number one, the Sheik's Army, but number two, that turn. It's like out of all of the turns, I, I think we hear, you know, uh, about, you know, everything with, you know, Bobby Heenan, you know, cutting off Ray Stevens and, and now, but it's like it comes down to Jerry Blackwell. Like that always seems to be like the one of the biggest turns in the history of the promotion. Why do you feel, Joe, that that Jerry Blackwell turn is always remembered that way? Nobody expected it. I was there that night. It was my, um, before I actually was working with the AWA, 
I was there that night and never in a million years did I did I expect or did I see that Jerry Blackwell was going to be attacked by Sheikh Adnan El Casey, Abdullah the Butcher, and King Kong Brody. Not to mention the fact Greg Gagne running from the locker room at the St. Paul Civic Center to help and rescue mm-hmm. Jerry Blackwell. It was absolutely phenomenal for me as a fan in my pre-AWA working days. My favorite my favorite heel turn ever. Yeah, there's no question about it, you know, and, and Blackwell does not get the credit he deserves. He was a phenomenal heel as part of the Sheik's army, and that baby face turn, like you said, Joe, absolutely spectacular. Uh, so Jerry Blackwell gets number 10 spot, according to the listeners of the podcast. So let's move on to number nine. Wait for the illustrious Tubbs to put up the picture. Uh, hold on, it, it didn't transfer over, so talk amongst yourselves for a minute. Okay, it did, not, it did not transfer over. I it thought I thought I had it. Oh, hold on. Okay, now I've got it. Okay, okay, you got it. We're ready. No, no interference. No, uh, no fuzz. No static. No fuzz. No static. Okay, three, right. two, one, go. There's number nine, and I was surprised that he did not get more votes than he did. Um, in the 1970s into the early 80s, excuse me, although in the 80s, he actually did a little bit of a heel turn. Uh, In the 1970s, nobody, nobody main evented more cards, I think, on a regular basis that was not a champion uh, than Billy Robinson. Technician personified, Joe. Without a doubt, the man of a thousand moves or holds. Um, I remember watching him growing up and... I kept waiting and waiting for Billy Robinson to get that shot at the world champion who happened to be Vern Gagne. Well, sort of saw it in the movie, The Wrestler, you know, but the end of it, you see Vern's foot coming into the shot and boom, that was the end of the movie. That was the only chance I ever got to see Vern Gagne versus Billy Robinson. Didn't satisfy what I wanted to see. And that was the match. Um, but years later, you get into the business and you understand why you couldn't put a big baby face and a big baby face. And Vern was not going to get rid of the belt. He was going to keep it, I believe, uh, he didn't lose it to, what, 75 to 70? Yeah, 75. Yeah. And, so, you know, they, they, did have, uh, they did have a couple of matches, uh, Vern against Billy, uh, places like Chicago. And uh, Vern was the, kind of the subtle heel. In those matches, as he was anytime he went against a babyface. This was really interesting. Vern was tremendously popular, but when he went one-on-one with a babyface, the crowd turned against Vern a little bit. And, of course, they had, you know, Vern maintained the title. And we've talked before, the reason Billy didn't get the title is because Vern didn't trust him. Uh, you know, if... if- so, so two, two questions here, Mick. <clears throat> Uh, well, let's go. Why why don't you feel that Vern trusted Billy Robinson? Why why didn't he? Give Billy that? Robinson was what they call in the business a shooter, and basically he could handle himself against anybody and everybody. And he had a little bit of a temper. He had a little bit of an edge to him. And I think Vern felt that if Billy Robinson, for whatever reason, didn't want to give up the title or do the job on any mm-hmm. given night, 
who's gonna who's gonna take it from them? You know, okay. who you, you get yeah, gonna get from the locker room to go in and shoot on them? So Vern was very protective of the title, and I, it did make sense. Yeah. You know the funny thing about that? Fast forward into the mid-80s and look at what the AWA championship went through from the Hanson incident to Lawler to yes. um, sort of a foreshadowing maybe. Or I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Absolutely. Excellent. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, and to get into the Joe, I want I want to ask you because Mick was talking about how you know Vern would kind of if if the fans turned against Vern, you know sometimes promoters or you know certain guys they, they always want to be that baby face no matter what they never want to be booed. Do you feel like that was it, was it out of the ordinary? Do you feel for maybe a, a promoter to maybe be okay with being a heel if you knew that Billy Robinson would would be the face would be the good guy? Well, I mean, I can only speak to Vern and knowing Vern as as well as I did, at least I'd like to think so. He enjoyed the adoration that he got and deservedly so. I mean, Vern was one of those guys, he would walk into a a restaurant or uh, wherever it was, people knew who he was, people uh, I wouldn't say cheered him necessarily, but there was like, oh my, there's Vern Ganya. Oh, let's go and you know shake his hand. Let's go and meet him. You're not going to be able to do that, having even the slightest bit of being a heel. Vern was going to lose that when he walked into uh, into Mancini's or wherever yeah. it might be. He wasn't going to have that adoration that he loved. I wouldn't say craved, maybe over the course of the years, it was something that he did crave. And again, fast forward past the seventies and go into his one, two, three comebacks. Um, you know, he, he, he loved being a baby face. I guarantee you that when he even had the slightest bit of being a heel in those matches against Billy Robinson, he didn't like it, which just goes back to what I said earlier about babyface and babyface. Vern was not going to give up that hold being the number one babyface in the AWA. Before we get to number eight, just on the Vern Gagne comeback situation and the three comebacks, Vern has been gone for seven years, and I'm still anticipating, you know, that he may, you know, do a run-in in the run-in. <laughs> cardigan sweater at some point you know from some place but you know might be with the uh, flares next match <laughs> oh wow hey, well, hey, maybe, yeah. maybe that's what that static was maybe the static wasn't joe after all maybe it was burned <laughs> my god all right let's let's move on to uh to number eight and uh here's another guy you talk about legendary in the awa and again a guy i'm surprised didn't get more votes than, than he did but nonetheless Number eight, there he is, the George Clooney, the Brad Pitt of professional wrestling, Baron Von Raschke. What a storied career he had in the AWA. Here's a guy who starts out with zero personality whatsoever when he broke into the business as just, you know, Jim Raschke from Nebraska. Uh, and then, of course, he, uh, you know, he's the milquetoast babyface. Mad Dog Vashon worked with him a little bit up in the Montreal area, and all of a sudden you have the Baron Von Raschke character. For several years, I hated, hated heel uh, here in the AWA area. Of course, the wrestling fans, you know, we're, we're still fighting the war. 
you know, uh, when, you know, mm -hmm. 40 years after it happened. But then Baron with a baby face turn and uh, legendary. I, I mean, Baron Rodraski, you know, he was voted by the University of Minnesota. They, they made him like an honorary student council president or some goofy thing. And he's a pizza salesman and he's a monorail operator and everything else. Uh, Joe, you worked with the Baron. Is there a nicer guy in the world than Baron Von Raschke? No. And to this day, I still love getting the phone calls from him. And every call, he starts in the Baron voice. This is the Baron. Hi, Baron. Hey, Joe. It's Jim. It's like, well, really? No, no, no. Can I swear on here? Love it. Love it. Can I say no shit? On our show? Yeah, my hand just want to make sure, but uh, no, Baron, uh, uh, love him. Um, you know, Mrs. Claw or Bonnie, his wife, is the um, the business manager, the 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 go to for it. And when I've called him in the past to ask him some things, he uh, loves the idea. Here, talk to Bonnie. Uh, so that's great. But as far as Jim Roshke, Mick, I'm, I'm with a lot of those people. I hated him being Polish, Joe, and growing up in the 1970s. I mean, it was less than 30 years removed from World War II and being a full-blooded Pole whose family was directly affected by the Nazis in World War II. Um, I hated Baron von Roshke and his tag team partner, Horst Hoffman. Um, despise both of them only to know and learn years later what a great guy Jim Roshke is. He has an incredible dry wit and humor about him. And oftentimes he'll say something and I'm like, my God, that was really funny, Jim. Um, he, he, one of my all-time favorites. He would be in my top five Mount Rushmore. Did, did he ever, did you ever tell him like how you felt when you were younger about, you know, his character and, you of know, course. how, okay. So, I mean, what was his reaction, at, you know, after you, you know, you kind of broke that wall, broke that kayfabe and you were able to talk to him about it. He just laughed and just said, well, I did that to a lot of people. Um, I, I've shared the Nick Bockwinkle story uh, on the previous podcast, and I mean, this would apply to it, although Baird didn't say it, but when I told Nick that I grew up hating him, it was, well then, young man, I must have done my job well. And Baron Von Raschke, Jim, you did your job well also. Moving on down the line, and this, this entry, number seven, doesn't surprise me, but the number of votes that he got does surprise me. Uh, again, the poll was, who are your most memorable AWA top 10? Mm -hmm. And mean Gene Okerlund, ladies and gentlemen, Gene came in at number seven. He got an awful lot of votes, and I get it. You know, if, if you're a wrestling fan from the 1980s on, and you watch the AWA, Gene Okerlund was the guy. Marty O'Neill, you know, God bless him, you know, had had uh, some health issues and then passed away. And uh, Gene moved in as the man, the greatest carnival barker, 
uh, the, the, the greatest showman uh, in professional wrestling. Uh, he would he would chill. He would do anything he could to get the product over up to and including, of course, teaming up with Hulk Hogan uh, for the World Wrestling Federation. But Mean Gene, what an absolute gem of a guy. And I got the sense, Joe, maybe you did too, Gene never took any of it seriously. He loved what he was doing. And that was part of his charm. Let me yeah. go back again. I, I was born in 1965, so I was a part of that transition from Marty O'Neill to Gene Okerlander. Or he wasn't Mean Gene quite right. yet. And I remember missing marty o'neill because uh even at that young age i thought how good he was but then fast forward and when gene became mean gene okerland because of jesse the body ventura um i i will throw this out there that i think mean gene okerland helped make hulk hogan jesse ventura bobby heenan and all of those guys because of how he could stand there. While Marty O'Neill was um, pretty stoic yeah. when, when he delivered. He was, uh, you could say, a consummate interviewer, announcer. Mean Gene was a character. His facial expressions, his timing with, uh, with especially, I think, um, Bobby and Jesse, those two really, when I saw the older interviews, putting the shows together, his timing was just impeccable. Um, will, would Jesse and Hogan have done as well? Probably, but at that time, Mean Gene was an integral part of it, and there's a reason he was one of the first four that got snatched up by the WWF at the time. You made a, a really good point about Marty O'Neill and Marty's stoic uh, methodology in interviewing somebody. Marty was more along the lines of a Gordon Soley, even yeah. more subdued than Gordon Soley. But uh, Mean Gene took it to another level. I mean, talk talk about the, the ultimate carny, uh, and I mean that in a good good way. Uh, yeah, so, Gene. I, I want to ask you guys this. Because there was such a, a stark contrast from Marty O'Neill, do, do you guys do you guys ever feel that maybe Gene maybe would have gotten some direction as to hey we want you to be animated or maybe don't be too animated or was that just Gene being Gene because I mean don't you ultimately want the don't you want the focus to be on the performers and not necessarily the the announcer the whole business was changing and 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 I think Gene was a big part as Joe said about the business changing uh, nobody was taking wrestling seriously anymore as, you know, a combat sport or whatever. Remember, Gene was not only a salesman, he was an announcer. He was a top 40 disc jockey. Uh, he had an ego. He had a personality. And, boy, they tapped into it. And, and once it started rolling, they just expanded on it. And, you know, they multiplied Gene times 10. And it was it was part of the whole business. Everything, the glitz, the glamour, everything changed. And okay. Gene was a big part of it. Can I throw in a little quick side note on Mean Gene? And uh, I have to, uh, well, wrestling should give credit to Al Darusha. Um, yes. At least as Al tells me the story, when Marty's health started declining, um, Al said, I got just the guy. He's short. He's uh, entertaining. And 
it was Gene Leader. Um, yes. He worked at WTCN at the time. And uh, as Al tells the story to me, he had he brought Gene up to his cabin for a weekend to help him um, develop the character Mean Gene Okerlund. So much like I think any talent, I, I mean, I've seen Shawn Michaels doing his early interviews, Scott Hall doing his early interviews. Um, not everybody and mostly not everybody is going to be able to get on camera right away and deliver because they see that little red light and all of a sudden it's like, I, 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 it's like, yeah, okay. It takes a little time. And it did with Gene. Um, that was part of why I missed Marty O'Neill and, but it took Gene a little time to develop into the character mean Gene Oakland. Well, certainly appreciated by the listeners and viewers of the podcast. Uh, and, and with good reason, uh, love mean Gene. We're going to move on right now to a guy that absolutely is a Hall of Fame AWA talent. And there he is, the late, truly great Larry the Axe Hennig. Larry got started as a professional wrestler. It is going on, well, it would have been about 60, 60 years or so now when Larry first broke into the business. Uh, as a babyface, of course, trained by Vern Gagne. Uh, Larry went to Japan in the early 1960s and came back with a little transformation. And then it was the old uh, mentor-student feud with Larry Hennig and Vern Gagne that actually took a turn and became real serious outside of the ring. Larry did not have a lot of good things to say about Vern over the years. Uh, but again, whether it was as a babyface later on in his career, not necessarily the early Larry Hennig babyface, or as a heel, Larry Hennig was one of those guys that absolutely carried the AWA. You know, whether you're talking about him teaming up with Harley Race or, you know, later on with, with Lars Anderson, whether Joe LaDuke and then Kurt eventually or what have you. Larry Hennig absolutely belongs on this Mount Rushmore. Um, he did a lot of complaining about the AWA, but by the same token, 90% of Larry's career, he stayed here. He made good money. He was a fixture in the AWA and, and certainly a legend. Yeah, so, um, and Mick, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Larry's turn happened uh, on All-Star Wrestling against Angelo, and I'll use Larry's nickname for him, Angelo Ping Pong Mosca. It was actually earlier than that, Joe. Okay. Larry's, Larry's official babyface turn was in the fall of 1974 and the high flyers were wrestling on tv and they were getting a beat down from the heenan family and uh, particularly greg ganya who uh larry had referred to at one point as the son of flicka but uh, on this particular night uh larry made the save carried greg out of the ring uh, saved him from the beating and basically said this could have been my son in there and I'm not going to let this happen. This kid's got a promising career ahead of him. And boom, Larry Hennig for the rest of his time in the AWA was the consummate babyface. Great, great stuff. You're correct. I remember the match. Uh, it was highlighted in one of the uh, pay-per-views that we did when we resurrected the AWA in the early 2000s, uh, just doing uh, video. 
Um, but that match was so good. I played the entire, I believe it was two out of three falls. And I yeah. think, didn't Greg and Jim win the first fall? I believe so. And then in the second fall is when shit hit the fan. Larry came out and the whole thing. Phenomenal. And and again, correct me if I'm wrong here, Mick, but wasn't that the debut of the High Flyers on, on All-Star or close to it? It was close to. They had not been teaming up for very, very long at all. And of course, you know, the Heenan family, you know, perfect foils uh, for the High Flyers. And then Larry got involved. Um, the rest is history. Great storyline, great angle, great TV, great wrestler. And I owe Larry Hennig a personal debt of thanks because, my God, did this guy put me over anytime he introduced me to somebody. And I am eternally grateful to, uh, to Larry Hennig. So, uh, moving on. And how could this guy, this is number five, but how could he not make the top five all-time AWA talents? Let's take a look at him. There he is. There's the mild-mannered everybody's grandfather. Want to have him sitting at the head of the table at Thanksgiving. Uh, Mad Dog Vashon. And I have said many times, Mad Dog was kind of a journeyman wrestler. He'd been in the business for a long time. There was nothing Algerian about Mad Dog Vachon. You know, he was he was French-Canadian. Uh, the dog wrestled here in the AWA in the early 1960s and came in, and he was actually doing jobs at, at some of the house shows. And then in 1964, all of a sudden, boom, they're, they're promoting a feud between Mad Dog and Vern Gagne. And October 20th, 1964, the dog wins the AWA World Heavyweight Championship from Vern. Uh, he went on not only to hold that title on numerous occasions, but also the tag team title uh, with his brother, the Butcher Vishan. Again, whether it was as a notorious spitting, gouging heel or as a baby face biting a, a chunk out of Jerry Blackwell's nose. Jerry Fatwell. Jerry Fatwell, that's right. And the man probably built the worst-looking casket in the history of caskets. I think some of those pieces are still flying overhead as the dog was hammering that casket for Jerry Blackwell. But legendary, legendary Mad Dog Bashan had to retire when he was uh, the victim in a hit-and-run accident and had to have his uh, leg amputated. But again, talk about the guys that belie their on-screen character what a pussycat outside the ring. You brought up the, uh, the, the interview where he built the casket. Um, it is the most requested interview uh, that I, I get. That when, when, when somebody, I meet somebody in a bar and they learn on the AWA, it's inevitable that they bring up the pine box interview taboo mm -hmm. taboo yeah um absolutely phenomenal but here's one of the things that got me about mad dog he was shorter than mean gene oh yeah absolutely and, and it was in an era pre huge guys at least across the border my earliest memory of mad dog would have been a match at the minneapolis auditorium mad dog against big john stud a legitimate big guy uh, six, 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 eight, and the heart punch. And Mad Dog took about three of them. But you know what? It was a dog-eat-dog dog match, and he wasn't going to let 
Big John's stud get the better of that dog. So why, why, how did Mad Dog get himself, if he's so, you know, the, the stature was a little bit smaller and, and, you know, in that really big era, how did Mad Dog really get himself over then to the point that he was believable in that era of a lot of, you know, bigger, tougher, you know, stronger guys? couple of reasons. First of all, uh, you know, imagine that you have a, a, a pit bull in a fight against a much larger dog. Uh, you know, my money is on the pit bull. And Mad Dog Vachon, first of all, he was a legit tough guy. He was an Olympic wrestler. Uh, so from a technical technical standpoint, he could do it all. Anybody that you talk to in the business, Chris, they'll tell you when they're mentioning the, the, the toughest and the meanest of all, the legit guys, it was Mad Dog Vachon. So Mad Dog was very, very believable. What you saw was what you got. And uh, not too many guys, I don't care how big you were, yeah, uh, could match toe-to-toe with Mad Dog Vachon. You know, the probably the most infamous story, the airplane story, which oh, yeah. uh, I know you guys, have, you guys have discussed, and there are so many different versions of it. Um, I can't remember if it was Greg or Nick, but they tell the story, or maybe it was even uh, Al Darusha, but they... Uh, tell me the story of after that incident when Vern called Mad Dog into the office uh, about that. And Vern was just reaming him a new one. And, and there's Mad Dog like a puppy in a corner, no pun intended. Yes, boss. I'm sorry, boss. I'm sorry. And Vern tells him, you're done. You're never wrestling in the AWA. Get out of my office. Okay, boss. Okay, sorry. When's, when's the next town? What? What, what could Vern do? I mean, <laughs> here's your ticket. Here, you're going to wrestle here. I mean, you, can, you, you, you can't let go of the dog. Mad Dog Vachon, in so many ways, is absolutely legendary, and God bless him. I, you know, he, uh, as a lot of the guys do, his last couple of years were not real pleasant uh, because uh, dementia had kicked in uh, with the dog, but... Uh, an all-time great, no question about it. So he came in at number five in the uh, in the listener polling, number four, and I'm telling you, he's he's smiling there. But had he known that he was coming in at number four, I don't think he'd be grinning that much. This he shocks probably, me. This, this shocks me that he'd be this low, honestly. Isn't that something? Because when you think of the AWA, you think of Vern Gagne. And not only as the consummate professional wrestler, not only as a Minnesota legend, not only as the heavyweight champion of the world, but the businessman, uh, the icon, like Joe was saying a little bit earlier on, a true celebrity, a Minnesota hero. And I, I would have to say that based on my demographic on the Slick Mick page, a lot of the fans that voted maybe saw Vern later on in his career, maybe in the late 70s, early 80s. So he didn't garner as many votes as some of the other guys. They didn't get a chance to see Vern Gagne, the wrestler in the late 1950s, early 1960s. Not going to be labor Vern because... Vern Gagne is Vern Gagne. He's Minnesota wrestling. He built an empire. And, uh, you know, Joe, you and I have had our experiences with Vern. But uh, nonetheless, legend, period. 
I, I think you hit it right on the head, Mick, the, the demographic. And as time progresses, the legends of yesteryear sort of slide down because people don't remember them. Um, I've got, I, I can't tell you the, the number of great memories that I have of Vern. Uh, number four on the list, it doesn't surprise me, but at the same time, it is a bit of a surprise. Uh, for all intents and purposes, he probably should be at number one. Yeah. Um, but in what may be the perfect segue into moving on to the next one, he created and developed so many huge characters that people remembered and revered and loved in the AWA. Vern was a, he was simply, he was a baby face. He didn't have a gimmick. His gimmick was that he was Vern Gagne, great wrestler, and wore his jacket out to the ring. And that was it. That, that was Vern Gagne. There was no Mad Dog to him. There was no Baron Von Roschke to him. He was just Vern Gagne, the consummate professional wrestler simplest you know, way to put it as we move on to uh to the next one on the list i would say about Vern, the only real knock i think wrestling fans especially of later years and there's number three uh would have about Vern was his longevity i think he overstayed the welcome a little bit um you know his skills were certainly waning later on and the big knock was he kept the title on him on himself for for way too long but you know it was par for the course in the business so just real quick before we get on to the next one that we used to sort of highlight it here's here's what um sort of irks me a little bit so Vern made his three comebacks and he was what 61 or so when he had his last match wrestle rock in the cage against Sheik Adnan LKC yeah. um Take a look at uh, what's going on today. Um, you know, Ric Flair at 70-something, um, doing by all accounts, yeah, sort of smudged his in-ring ability from what he was able to do before. There's, I, I've heard rumblings of Hulk Hogan after all of his back surgeries, of him coming in to do one more match. Um, Vince McMahon Sr., or Jr., sorry, uh, he was in his 60s, and he was still doing uh, matches. So the same guys who, when Vern was doing this in, in 1986, April 20th of 86 would have been his last match, the same guys who were younger are dissing Vern are now older than Vern yeah. and still getting into the ring. And in, and in Rick's case, Rick, fantastic career. You deserve every accolade. For yourself and for the fans, let us remember the greatness of what was, because that greatness, it's not there anymore. And, and, and that's not a knock at him, believe it or not. The greatness isn't there because you're 70-something and you can't do what you did before. I don't want to see you drop in the ring because you needed one more match or you wanted to create the, the sequel to the movie The Wrestler 2 with Mickey Rourke. That's when, when, when I saw that ma that movie and then fast forward to when I heard that uh, Flair was doing it, I thought of that movie instantly. Moving on to number three, because I got some real thoughts on Ric Flair continuing in the business these days. But you know what? I, I 
think you said it all in a very kind way. Uh, number three, there he is. You can't say AWA without this guy. The legendary crusher from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Boy, he's one of your Polish brethren, and he was proud of it. Again, ladies and gentlemen, you've got the situation. He had wrestled here even prior to the AWA. He was in the Minneapolis Territory in the 1950s as one of the Lasowski brothers, uh, along with a, uh, a full brother, Stan Lasowski. Uh, came back in the AWA in 1962 and started feuding with Vern Gagne as a legit tough guy, brawler, no-nonsense heel. And I mean heel with the best of them. In the early 1960s, they hated the Crusher. Uh, 1965 was when it all turned around, and he and Dick the Bruiser got into a feud with Larry Hennig and Harley Race, who had been running roughshod in the AWA territory during uh, Crusher's hiatus from the area. And all of a sudden, and from then on, one of the greatest baby faces in the history of the AWA, whenever a bad guy was running roughshod, the call eventually went out to the crusher. And whether it was a cage match, whether it was a saloon brawl, death match, whatever it was, the fans always knew the crusher was eventually going to rid the territory of the biggest heel in the business at the time. Absolute legend. No doubt about it. My all-time favorite wrestler growing up because he was Polish. I mean, I know you had, we had Ivan Putsky and the mighty Igor, but Crusher had the longevity in the AWA and his interviews, oh. second to none, from from um, uh, uh, going, to, going to the saloon with his girlfriend, Wanda, and uh, being upset because Wanda had lost pound, lost some weight and she had gotten down to 275. Yeah. And he liked to hold on. He liked to have something to hold on to as he was doing the polka. Yeah. Um, and, and loved, um, he loved. Pol polka or polka? Sorry. I'll go hey. Back. No problem. Welcome back, Chris. Um, but, but Crusher loved uh, Wanda so much that he even loved seeing her in a bikini when he was going fishing on Lake Minnetinki. But my one of my all-time favorites. Just loved watching the Crusher. And remember we said earlier about Mad Dog? Crusher wasn't much taller. He, no. he, he was a short guy as well, but thick as a fire hydrant. You know oh, what's interesting? It, it, sorry, it, it, one other quick okay. thing. As much as I love the Crusher, it's a toss-up for me between he and Hogan for the worst finishing move. Oh. The bolo punch was brutal, as is was the Hulk Hogan leg drop. But that aside, love Crusher. The, the one thing that people don't know about, actually they do if they've been listening to the podcast, Crusher was a very quiet, unassuming family man outside of the ring. He was not at all like the man that you saw on television. He liked his beer a little bit, but, uh, but Crusher absolute legend in the AWA and what other guy could get away with throwing dog food at Mad Dog Vachon and vegetables at Killer Kowalski who was a vegetarian uh, when the twins won the American League pennant in 1965 Crusher led a parade a small parade around the TV studio uh, to celebrate 
Uh, what a guy. There'll never be another one uh, like the Crusher. Got to move. Number two. Number two on the on the list. Um, you know what? Had I been voting, you know, things might have been a little bit different. I would have stuffed the ballot box. But uh, number two uh, garnered the second most votes is Nick Bockwinkle. And, you know, it, it's kind of pointless at this, at this juncture, Joe, to belabor the talents of Nick Bockwinkle. Uh, the man, as far as I'm concerned, is the all-time greatest. And not just because, you know, I'm partial to Bockwinkle. Uh, he was the consummate ring general. He was a professional. He carried the belt with integrity. He defended the business. He did, you know, as a second generation wrestler, he absolutely staunchly defended the business. He went into opposing territories to defend the AWA championship, whether it was Hawaii, Japan, Houston, Florida. He went all over the place. Uh, there's nobody, nobody did it better. And it, to me, when people say, well, Bockwinkle isn't Flair, you know what? Thank God. I mean, Ric Flair was a great wrestler, no question about it, but every match was the same. I don't care how many people will say differently. Nick would wrestle his opponent to the opponent's strengths, whether it was Rufus Jones, Andre the Giant, all the way up to Billy Robinson, Vern Gagne, the High Flyers. Nobody did it better, in my estimation, than Nick. When I get into conversations with people about professional wrestling, um, one of the first things I tell them is that wrestling is not fake. It may be predetermined. But when I talk to locker rooms in the past, when I'm doing a production, I tell the talent that you've got one job to do. And if you can do it, then you have succeeded in my eyes. And that job is to make me believe because if you can make me believe that everybody watching in that arena in that audience or on the screen they're going to believe nick bockwinkle made me believe right through the end of his career um would have been 1987 yeah i still consider it one of the it, it is the single greatest match that i was ever a part of in the production truck, and that was Nick Bockwinkle against Kurt Henning. In fact, Nick, you posted a clip of Nick or of uh, Kurt doing a drop kick yeah. Yeah. to Nick on your Slick Mix uh, wrestling page. If you just take a look at that, not only was it a great drop kick by Kurt, but look, look how how Nick sold that, and that's what he did. He could sell like. Very few others that I knew in the business, and I give uh, kudos to Kurt Henning. Kurt could do that as well, but I think he learned not only from Larry the Axe, but from Nick Bockwinkle. We could do an entire hour on Nick Bockwinkle, one of my all-time favorites. He deserves to be where he is in this list. Now, he was 52 years old when he got in the ring against Kurt Hennig in 1986 and, and still delivered. And Nick got it. It's make your opponent look good. And he made everybody look good, whether they deserved it or not. So uh, moving on to number one. And this, I, you know, I, I guess I can't disagree with this, even, you know, being partial to Nick. The wrestling fans voted, and there he is, early on in his career, 
the very menacing Bobby the Brain Heenan. Uh, we talked about personalities, and that was the gist of the poll. Name an all-time legendary personality. Bobby Heenan did it all. And, you know, you can talk about his career post-AWA when he went into the WWF, kind of became a, a cartoon character uh, on occasion. In the AWA, I've said it before, nobody got more heat than Bobby Heenan. Legitimate heat. The fans hated him. They attacked him. They hit him with hammers. They took shots at him from the balcony. I mean, this was this is the the man. The man did it all. He could wrestle. He could manage. He could talk. The greatest, and and I agree with Jim Brunzel. Jim says Bobby Heenan is the greatest all-around performer in the history of professional wrestling. Folks at home, you got it right. Without question, and I tell everybody that listens to me that exact same thing. Um, I had the opportunity to interview Nick, uh, Nick Bockwinkle, in case you guys didn't know who Nick was, um, in the living room of my house after we uh, did uh, uh, intros to one of the pay-per-views. And I asked him about Bobby Heenan and Nick expressed the exact same sentiment. And then he would compare it or not compare it, but tell the story of when Nick and Ray were tag team champions and Bobby was their manager and they would go to a town when one of them couldn't make it, that it was better for the Heenan family better for the tag team that Bobby was in the match because he would draw more heat and get more reaction from the audience than the three of them combined. If it was not just Nick and Ray and Bobby, for whatever reason, couldn't be there. Uh, you, you, you go from, from 10 on heat to maybe down to five. They still hated Nick and Ray, but Bobby Heenan was the catalyst of that threesome. Hands down, the greatest per overall performer, all-around performer in professional wrestling history, according to Polish Joe. Let me tell you something about Bobby Heenan, and then we're going to kind of wrap things up here. You know, Bobby was very caustic on his interviews. You know, he would take shots. He was so brilliant. I mean, he a lot of times he would go out there and boom, 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 off the top of his head, he would bury everybody, you know, whether it was, you know, Vern Gagne's daughter all the way up to Mad Dog Bashan or, or what have you. The Bobby Heenan that you saw on TV, believe it or not, the Bobby Heenan off camera could be more caustic and and absolutely slice and dice you if he wanted to verbally. Uh, Bobby was a, he was a sarcastic son of a bitch, but man, he was so, so brilliant. And again, Bobby Heenan, we love you. Uh, the greatest of all time, no question about it. One of the greatest bleeders, I hate to say it, of all time. And, and uh, you know, Bobby at the end of his uh, life had a, a tough couple of years um, due to the throat cancer, having part of his jaw removed and, and what have you. And, and what an irony that a guy that was such a great talker in professional wrestling all those years winds up in a situation where he couldn't do much talking at the end of his career. But on the heels of the fact that Thanksgiving is coming up this week, one thing that Bobby Heenan said, and Anna, we'll leave you with this, Bobby Heenan in talking about Mad Dog Vashon, 
and the Thanksgiving dinner, he said, we're not going to have turkey this year. We're going to have dog. And you know how you prepare dog? You don't put cranberries to it. You don't put stuffings to it. You put the boots to it. And when he's on the mat, you kick out his last two teeth. And that's how you prepare dog for Thanksgiving. God bless you, Bobby Heenan. Chris. No, that that being said, uh, let's go ahead. And we got about three minutes here. We're going to do our shout outs and then we're going to wrap it up. Joe, appreciate it. And uh, next time we'll we'll get you in at the beginning of the show. No more of that static stuff. Well, hell of an intro I will have to give you, but I will have to, before your shout outs, I will have to apologize to you guys because I know you had the Thanksgiving uh, theme. That's uh, correct. The show. Yeah. I've been told I'd like to talk a little bit. So this is what you're going to get from Polish Joe. You might not want to have too many items on that outline because, uh, well, and I got another guy sitting in the corner of my screen there, Mr. Nick Clutch. Um, who, uh, how's your crotch? (laughs) But, uh, yeah, um, thank you guys. Uh, hope you enjoy uh, whatever insight that I can provide to it. Uh, I think I'm really going to like this talking, uh, talking about my wheelhouse. Uh, it is the AWA. One out of three ain't bad. Have a good Thanksgiving, Joe. We love you, buddy. Thanks. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys and to everyone listening. All right. Uh, stick around, Joe. We'll uh, get to you here in a bit. All right. Uh, Mick, nice uh, shout out. Yes, we got uh, two minutes and uh, hey, you can hit your mark. So let's let's do it. Denver, Colorado's own princess, Diane Devine. I have known Diane. She has been in the wrestling business, in and around the business for 50, 60 plus years a great fan, a great friend of the business. And uh, Diane, I believe, just celebrated a monumental birthday. And I'm not sure if she wants to give out the number uh, here on, on uh, the show, but Diane, love you and take care of yourself. Got to meet, meet up with you again one of these days. And uh, I'm going to go with Justin Clapper at Clapper77 ah. on Twitter. You know, again, thanks for always uh, retweeting and interacting with the uh, Twitter account. So uh, for those of you that are on Twitter, still on Twitter, uh, thank you guys for uh, for that. Uh, that being said, let's go ahead and take care of a little bit more uh, business. Uh, you know, it's hoodie season, and uh, we work with SodaStick, uh, SodaStickCO.com. Get your personalized hoodie. Get your black and white T-shirt. Use the promo code UNLEASHED for 15% off. Now that we're getting into the holidays and, you know, Christmas and, and whatever you might celebrate Get that. It's great for something great stocking stuff or great for underneath the tree. And uh, it's a great way to support the podcast. Also, 7th Avenue Pizza, uh, 7th Avenue Pizza.com. If uh, you're looking for great frozen pizza. And I know we were going to, uh, oh, also the uh, fan page before I forget, um, join our AWA Unleashed fan page uh, just to go ahead and, and, you know, one of our moderators will go ahead and, uh, you know, they'll accept you in. Uh, also, wherever you, you get your podcast, YouTube, uh, Google, Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, whatever. Just uh, go ahead and, and uh, click the subscribe on YouTube. Uh, that being said, I knew, Mick, we got about 30 seconds. We were going to get the Thanksgiving thing in. 
we'll eventually get it because I know you know the holidays is a big time for wrestling, but we'll we'll get that in sometime. I just I felt like this was too good to try and rush something else in. No, no, it was great. I think maybe we do the Thanksgiving show on the fourth of July. Sounds something good. Like okay. Sounds good. Makes sense to me. I mean, it's wrestling. 